Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Ian McGee, production director of McGee's Bakery. If you have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode, simply search your favourite podcast channel for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So gentlemen, mounting inflation at 5.5%, rising energy prices and the prospect of more interest rate rises on the way. Willie, you've been predicting disaster. <laughs> People who know me will know that I'm actually quite an optimist. But uh, no, obviously, unfortunately, I was right on this one. And and I, I actually don't think it's going to stop at 7.5%. Well, the Bank of England are saying they expect it to peak at 7.25% in spring. They were optimistic before and got it wrong. What's your forecast then, Willie, now? Because you've been right on the money so far. Well, all I can say is, is and I'm sure Tom would agree with this, Everything that Andrew Bailey has said since he took over has not came to fruition, right? He's been way out and way out. So I hope, uh, I sincerely hope that this time that he's right and I'm sitting here saying I'm wrong. But I think at the moment what we've got with the cost of fuel, the cost of living, where inflation's going, the rises now that are more and more prevalent. I mean, I watched a programme the other night where it showed you two people coming out of petrol station with their cars. And the lady said get a good picture of my car because it'll be going on Monday. I can't keep it. I can't keep it. And then a man telling you that the same amount of money bought my quarter of a tank of petrol that was buying him a half a tank of petrol three months earlier. So with the, with the fuel prices and with everything else that's going up in the economy, there's, there's absolutely no way I can see that this is going to remain, inflation is going to remain at 7.25, whatever the bank are saying. I just don't see it. Well, Tom, you didn't get the inflation rates right but you were pretty much on the money with, saying UK interest rates going up. But we're hearing that there are further rises coming. What level do you think is going to get to now? And how much of an impact will that have on business? Well, first of all, Donald, like any good journalist, get your facts right. I have not <laughs> lost this bet. Yeah. I'm like any good football <laughs> manager. Until it's arithmetically proven that I'm wrong, I'm not giving in. Um, <laughs> so, so we can I ask you, what year are we going to keep going to till you get right? <laughs> um, so, um, yes, of, of course, Willie, looks as if he's right. I think I think what our bet was, was that it wouldn't go over 7%, and it's not over 7% yet, but in April, when the energy price cap is raised, it's going to go over 7%, that's for sure. And um, the Bank of England is about as good as a chocolate teapot at forecasting here. Although some very good economists said forecasting is difficult, especially when it's the future you're trying to forecast. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think? Seriously here, the, the whole thing about inflation is the world is opening up, supply chains, the demand and supply here are out of balance because things have been shut down the demand has spiked and the supply is not there yet. So what things are transitory and what things are forever? Now, I don't I don't have this crystal ball that Willie seems to have 
Um, but I, I do believe that by the end of the year, I think it, it does look as if it's going to peak more than 7%. But I think we're going to finish the end of the year below 7%. That's, that's what I think. I, I don't think this is going to last forever. Um, on interest rates, it looks as if the, the clever money is on a 50-bit rise in March when they next meet. But remember, that would only take the base rate to 1%. You know, I, I, I remember borrowing money at 18%. Good business people, good entrepreneurs find the ways around about this. But inflation is certainly a worry now. So how much attention should we pay to Bank of England forecasting? What data should businesses interpret to make the right decisions about the future? Apart from obviously listening to you, Willie, because you've been spot on. <laughs> I think the bit, although that we are nowhere called the business programme, I think here the, the worry I have here is for the average man and woman in the street and what this is going to do to them. There is no doubt that the hike in, in fuel is going to affect 80% of the population, right? Because it will, it will put more pressure on them. And and I think that no one is factoring in the, the, the scale of this problem whatsoever. No one. Uh, and I've been really, really surprised at what the bank has had to say, and obviously they've been proven to be wrong. But I'm telling you that, um, again, no, going back to hopefully I'm seen as an optimist, I'm really, really concerned and I, and I think that something has to be done. The thing, there's, there's no doubt that there is inflationary pressure but there's also no doubt that people are gouging people are just putting prices up for the sake of it you know we, we talked about it before Tom can you imagine three years ago if we had storage if we would somewhere to store oil we could have got $40 a barrel for taking it right? <laughs> they were giving it away Absolutely. it was at minus 40 and today you know it's it's you know it's a, it's heading towards the, the the most expensive it's been in thirty years. I think it was twenty two years the other night was the most expensive it's been at the pumps. So that on top of fuel, two things that really is a big big part of the you know the average man and woman's monthly income are going through the roof. Not by one percent, two percent, but by thirty percent. Some of the things I seen the other night about how food prices have went up. No one's ever heard of something going up by thirty percent, by fifty percent. This is this is um, scary, scary. Energy prices, Donald, in January went up by twenty three point two percent. I mean that is scary stuff, and this this would bring me back to you need to be master of your own destiny. And on energy, Britain is not. Um, America sorted the dependence on the Middle East and various other people by allowing fracking, and they became self dependent. Um, self-sufficient on um, energy. Um, I don't think Britain can do that through fracking, but we need to, I've talked about it before, we need to look at um, nuclear energy as being in the mix here because we, we can't be dependent on Russia for our gas. I mean, my goodness, um, Putin sitting there with his finger on the button, not the nuclear button, it's the gas pipe button. And he's he's relishing this. Um, how stupid of the energy um, policymakers that Britain is in such a precarious state. And and Tom, you're you're so right about that. Can you imagine that a power the size of Germany could not 
in the last couple of weeks step up to the plate with the rest of NATO all because of that button that you're talking about? All because right? of the gas All pipe. because of the button, well, right? So, but but let me say to you, when, when we're talking about, you know, you just said that the energy price is up by 22.5%. This is a fact. I got an annual contract for mine and I had to fight with the supplier to get my increase down from 34% to 29 Oh, I've now signed oh. a contract, right? 29%, again, an annual contract. And I, and I think that these are the things, so we know that they're definitely happening. They're happening yep. to us, so they're happening to everyone else, and it's, it's, it's scary. So briefly, is it a time for businesses to batten down the hatches, hatches and ride the storm, or are there opportunities to be had? Yeah, there's always opportunities, Donald. There's a great saying by Warren Buffett, one of my heroes, who says, when others are greedy, be fearful, and be fearful when others are greedy. So he's <laughs> he's saying, um, when when people are running one way, just have a wee look around the corner and see where the opportunities are. And frankly, that's what good business people and entrepreneurs do. There are always opportunities here. Always. I have to say that, and this also points out how clever that Warren is, that for the past 10 years he's been ploughing fortunes into utility companies. He's seen this yes. coming. <laughs> and, and the energy companies, uh, Willie. Yeah, same, same thing. Well, talking of opportunities, there was a Kuwaiti takeover approach to John. Mingus has been dis- dismissed as opportunistic. Um, Menzies, of, of course, you know, is now mainly an aviation services business. What do you expect to happen? Would you like to see Men- Menzies, Mingus remain independent? Tom? Um, well, you know, it's, I'm... I'm a free marketeer, Donald. So if it's if it's not of national importance, the business, and define national importance, that's for people above my pay grade. But um, the market will, will decide what it's worth. And therefore, if somebody's willing to pay it, then fine. Um, it's not as if these jobs would, would leave Scotland because, you know, they're, they're, they're on the airport apron, they're um, loading the cargoes, they're dealing with all of that. So therefore, you know, un- unless a business is of national importance, I'm a free marketeer and let the market decide. Willie, let the market decide. Yeah, absolutely. And all the the, the you know that John Menzies or Mingies uh, can do is to fight to get the value, get the true value um, from the potential buyer. Um, but I think, as, as Tom says, the good thing about this one is there's been too many Scottish companies swallowed up over the years where the jobs were easily transferable. Um, so at least in this one, the, the, the jobs are on the ground, so it shouldn't have much of an impact. Well, another big story has been the $160 million sale of Edinburgh-based TV Squared to New York-listed Innovid. Tom, your West Coast Capital had a 30% stake in that business. What's your take on the deal? Are you delighted? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I think it. I'm, I'm really happy for a number of reasons. First of all, Callum, Callum Smeaton, who's the founder of it, and Kevin Doran, who also was a founder of the business. I first backed these guys way back in 1999. Seems wow. like it seems like a long time ago in a or the company was called Orbital and it was a tech business and and believe it or not Eric Schmidt of Google um was an investor. I always remember his Gulfstream landing in Edinburgh and I thought we'd we'd hit the big time. But um so I think first of all Kevin 
was running Diet Chef at the time, and he said, look, I'm advertising on TV, but I have no idea what, what, what bit works. And he went to Callum, and Callum said, we can solve this. And it was Edinburgh engineering talent that actually drove this business. And it was one of the reasons that Innovid, which is on the New York Stock Exchange, an Israeli-led tech company, um, actually loved TV Squared because of the talent that's in Edinburgh, believe it or not. And I'm very proud of that. And they have committed to expanding that base in, in Edinburgh. Scotland now is seen as a world leader in this engineering talent um, and therefore, that's something to be proud of. And when Callum was then starting this business, along with Kevin, um, he won an Edge Award, a Scottish Edge Award, which we've talked about in the, in the business show a lot. And he came in and spoke once the business was up and running, and he said, look, the Edge Award I got, and it was £50,000, he said it, it came with no strings, and allowed him to buy a round-the-world um, airline ticket and to go round the world and see what was happening in different markets. Now, I'm very proud of that, being a backer of Edge, because that's that's most finance comes with strings. Scottish Edge doesn't. And that allowed the entrepreneur to say, I want to buy a round-the-world ticket. That was fine by us. And then... It attracted finance from ourselves, from Chris van der Keil, Paddy Burns. And, you know, that money and knowledge now gets recycled into Scottish Edge. You know, Willie and Chris and Paddy, Kevin, have all put money back into Scottish Edge, helping the businesses who are going to create the jobs in the future. So I think it's a brilliant story, and I'm really proud of, of what's happened there. Well, they'll all be very wealthy people. Talking of wealthy people, though, Scotland's public sector, Willie, has 500 bosses paid more than 100,000 a year, including Ferguson Marine's turnaround director who got £660,000 a year, the boss of NHS Scotland on £670,000 a year, and the chief exec of Creative Scotland on 220000 a year. Oh, and plus a six-figure pension benefit. Fair reward, Willie? Fair reward. I would love the select committee to bring in the head of Ferguson's and ask him what he actually turned around. Right, because for <laughs> what I'm seeing and what I read, it, it, it was the worst uh, going-away statement i ever seen. You know, 238 kilometres of cable are not fit for purpose, have to be ripped out. I think this is, this is going to work. These two ferries is going to work out to be one of the worst disasters in in, in, in maritime history, right? You know, you could have built a fleet of um, brand-new ocean-going vessels for the amount of money that's been wasted here. But the point is that here is, you know, fat cats in the public service. Um, I believe we have to pay the right money to get the right people. But the one thing that I do think that is absolutely missing in the public service is accountability. Yeah, and how we how we actually gauge where is the KPIs for people to get bonuses? How can you get bonus for failure? Tom, do you have a view to support those levels of pay? And is Willie right? It's about the accountability and performance. 
Yeah, I think on Ferguson Marine, we could have given every one of the islanders their own boat. <laughs> They're in plane. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm all about paying people for doing a good job and, you know, we pay really well. And um, so I've got no problem with it, but I'm not paying for failure. Willie's right. And I, I don't have a problem in the public sector. If somebody's done a good job, we need to, we need to attract and yep. retain the best talent in these jobs. Yes. But accountability, as Willie said, is absolutely fundamental. In any of our businesses, when when do we pay people for failure? It just doesn't happen. You know, you're out the door. Um, therefore, yes, I'm for paying top dollar for the right people when they're accountable and they've hit their KPIs. Yeah. And if you take the last story and you add it with this, here's the difference. Here is some seed money going into a business, an entrepreneurial startup business, £50,000, ends up 20 years later being sold for £160 million. So when we're all we're all delighted to be involved in EDGE, and, and this is the point what we're trying to make here, if, all the way along there, the people running that were accountable. Right, so they, they, they deserve the rewards that they've got here. And what we're saying is, is we kind of need a mirror image in the public sector. And it will also help us get the best people. We need clever, entrepreneurial-type people in the public sector. Well, talking yeah, of good I, entrepreneurs... So, so if, I could, if, I could, if I could just say, Donald, because we work through our foundation with a lot of the leaders in the public sector, and there's some cracking people... I don't like it when we just put a broad brush over and say, you know, they're all numpties. No, they, no. Are, they are definitely not. And, and Willie and I know the really good ones in there. And they should be rewarded more. But there is some dead, dead weight in there. Of course there is. There needs to be a way that they are shown the door so that the good ones can thrive and we can attract better ones. We need that for Scotland. Willie, an analysis by trade body, the Energy and Utilities Company, says the cost of running a heat pump in the average home will be more than 1000 a year, a third more than a traditional boiler. Is anyone listening to you? Well, obviously they are. <laughs> and, and I'm delighted that they have shown this, and I'm pleading with government, I'm pleading with local authorities um, please, 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 let's look more and more into this whole thing about installing heat pumps as the answer, you know, to energy efficiency. It is absolutely not, right? And and obviously, I've got people now backing what I've been saying for months and months and months. And remember to tell the listeners, I sell heat pumps, right? So I'd be delighted if everybody did a heat pump, but... I can assure you that um, this is absolutely not the answer. And as I said before, we have a lot of clever people here in Scotland. Let's work together with, you know, the, the construction hub, with, you know, the universities, and let us prove what we think is the best way forward for how we can try and get to, you know, to net zero. It's certainly not through heat pumps. You heard it here on the Go Radio Business Show. Well, he's right. <laughs> Isn't Willie always right? It's just you that's been uh, no, getting your forecast wrong. He's not, he's not always right. You check your facts, Mr Journalist. I never check my facts. I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs>
Coming up, we'll be talking to Ian McGee, Production Director of McGee's Bakery. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode of the show, search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. In the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of McGee's Bakery. There are few greater examples of a traditional family business than McGee's Family Bakers. Founded in 1935, the company started out from their first bakehouse in Maryhill, Glasgow. Over the years, McGee's operated and grew from this site, servicing local shops and markets with a range of freshly baked sweet and savoury products. Ultimately, however, it was the introduction of the crispy morning roll that would cement their place in Glasgow hearts. Sons Jim, Calder, Douglas and Gavin all joined the company and became directors during the 50s and 60s. And in 1969, the business moved to custom-built premises at Murano Street, Mary Hill. These premises were state-of-the-art for a time, complete with the very latest in bakery plant technology and a custom-built workshop for the servicing of company vehicles. With a reputation for top-quality products, McGee's continued to grow into the catering trade, whilst also servicing their local core customers with fresh morning goods. Then in the 90s, the third generation of McGee's were all installed as directors. Company growth meant that by now, they were servicing customers across the central belt of Scotland, sending vans to Edinburgh, Dunfermline, Stirling and Perth on a daily basis. The director's commitment to growth and improvement saw a further move to state-of-the-art premises at the M8 Food Park in June 2005, where they now operate out of what has been described as the most efficient bakery production unit in Britain. McGee's popularity has never wavered, and in recent years, the nation's favourite family bakers has continued to receive widespread praise, also scooping the much-coveted title of Scottish Baker of the Year in 2016. Now in its fourth generation, McGee's continues to proudly serve Glasgow and beyond, whilst always maintaining their very own recipe for success, top quality products, excellent service, and a large sprinkling of family pride. Well, a McGee's crispy morning roll is my Sunday treat, as always, and I'm sure, Willie, you're a fan of their products, as is Tom. I couldn't function on a Sunday if I didn't have my two potato scones with my breakfast on a Sunday morning. I would be a, I would be a screaming whirling dervish in the afternoon <laughs> if I didn't get my fix. <laughs> Empire biscuits for you, Tom? Oh, fantastic. Empire biscuits, especially McGee's ones, Ian, and you really take me back because... My dad was a baker up in Newcomnut and one of my jobs in the shop was when all the tradesmen were coming in about between 7.15am and quarter to eight, they would all come in for their well-fired rolls and gammon or corned beef and my job was, was to make up the rolls. So you've certainly taken me back. So well done. It's a brilliant UK success story, not just a Scottish success story. Indeed it is. So Ian, thank you. Talk us through your own journey from your start to your current role as production director. Role, was that a pun intended? <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> Unfortunately not. I'd probably have to start by saying the, the old one, I needed the dough. But... Oh, <laughs> no. dearie me. Now, uh, Willie tells the jokes in this uh, show, you come on. Uh, but uh, it was great to hear your, your great Scott there and uh, just to say it probably wrecked my introduction that I wrote myself. <laughs> 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 the, 
No, Moan, uh, journey to production director. I mean, basically, as all my, my fellow directors, uh, Gordon and Stuart, we all started off in the, the company doing Saturdays and Thursday nights, Sunday nights. You know, whenever it was spare time, we were there uh, getting on with it, getting to know the business and getting you know from the bottom up. That's how, you know, from scraping pans to jamming biscuits and everything else in between, uh, and driving the vans, you know, to to do the daily deliveries. Uh, we, we all learnt the, the business really from the the bottom up, and that's probably the. When, the, when did you actually start? When did you first get into the business? Because obviously it's a family business. Were you in there at school age? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh huh. Um, on a Saturday, my my cousin Stuart and I used to uh, help my my grandmother count the vending machine money, <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we got paid two and a half pence for that. <laughs> Sorry, um, vending machines. Could yeah. you? What was? Oh, th- that was for the for the staff. There was. Oh, for the oh, staff. I was thinking, how did he get rolls out of a vending machine? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's big business nowadays as yes. well. Yes, it is. So from there onwards, Gordon, who's the managing director, myself, production director, and Stuart is the sales director. Stuart was a apprentice toolmaker at one point. Gordon was at university doing an accounts degree. I, myself, I went to college and did food technology. But most of the time, I was found in the bakery. And I got to say, that was that was our life. And it still is. <laughs> yeah. And did you, did, you want, did you want that to be your life? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you had the passion for it. We had, uh, yeah, that, that's the yeah. If you cut it in half, it, is, it does say passion. It does. Yeah. Brilliant. Of course, it's a it's a family business that you're in, and that will bring some challenges uh, to it. So, what do you see as the strengths and weaknesses of being in a family business? And I know Tom really big on this. Is it appeals to you, Tom, the unique nature of a family business. Yeah, I mean, I think the the whole family business sector in Scotland is something that we don't talk about enough. And I think it's brilliant that the Go Radio Business Show is is highlighting. You know, I I never knew the story of McGee's. I saw the vans, but um, it's it's not until you hear some of the stats here: eighty tons of tatty scone product in a week, a <laughs> hundred and twenty tons of flour every week. It's unbelievable, and three tons of Empire biscuits. Well, we must eat about a ton of them. But anyway, so so Ian, what I'm interested in, we're on this show, and Willie's the pioneer in this. We're trying to give Scottish business a way to celebrate success, to share the successes, to commiserate and the failures, but to help people grow their businesses. Now, you've been doing it for a long time. And in a family business, how do you get stimulated to keep your ideas fresh outside the family? Is there there a way that you and your brothers and relations do that? Oh, crikey. Um, I think, first of all, you have to say, as a family business, and it's been handed down through the generations, you're 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 handcuffed to the business, and you you don't have that entrepreneurial spirit that Willie and yourself, Tom, have got. Uh, and I must say, it's each decision is bigger uh, and it's more emotive, and you have to consider that it's you know you've got the legacy that you wanting to leave onto the next generation. You've got the legacy that you were given yep. by the last generation. Uh, so each each decision is harder. But saying that. We have made a lot of big changes, uh, big direction changes in the past that have 
served us right. Yeah. Made one or two that served us wrong. Yeah. Like all businesses. Well, but you live and learn. <laughs> but, but I think the point, Tommy, do you have, within the wee group, the, the trio, do you have um, heated debates? <laughs> do you have differences of opinion? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, but seeing that, when we, we, are, we are all working in the business every day, uh, and we probably have three to four board meetings a day, and every decision. Wow. <laughs> yes, uh, and they can last for about fifteen seconds, but generally we 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 are following the the same path, and we, you know, after all this time together, uh, yeah. we are thinking the same same way, same direction. So, Ian, I would I would disagree with you that you don't have this entrepreneurial gene because <laughs> your your facts and figures would would say you and your family definitely do. But I'm always keen to find out: is it is it it's the key to the family business that you can have robust debates, but then you get on with it. Or is there one of you who brings out ideas from outside the family? Or how does it all how does it all work? No, absolutely, ideas come from everywhere and anyone, uh, and disagreements come from everyone as well. And it's, it's not the first time that Gordon and Stuart have been deleted from my favourites in my, my phone. <laughs> but however, they are quickly reinstated and uh, and we do get on very well. But yeah, I mean, an argument is probably, every so often, is probably the best thing that happens to a business. Yeah. 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 Keeps it strong, prunes it down. Good. Yeah. Apart from Good. family then, what are the key challenges facing your business right now? So the, the the key challenge is facing the business and above all it is people. We've got a, a workforce with a with very long serving employees and this is testimony to how well we treat our people. And just in the last couple of weeks we've had two guys retiring and they take away with them almost a hundred years of service wow. between them. Oh wow. yeah. fantastic. They're they're man and boy. So we think we're doing something like keeping these guys. Uh, and it's testimony to yeah, I think we are doing something well, right. Why do you think you're managing to hold on to people? We are there all the time. They can, you know, each one of them knows me by my name. They can approach me at any time. And it's the same with Gordon and with Stuart as well. So there's no, there's not too many layers to our management structure, put it that way. It's a first name, open door policy within the company. Yeah. yeah brilliant. Yep. That certainly works right. for me. Is there a particular yep. culture that you've got in the business? It, the culture that we have in the business is is really trying to get people to train to better themselves. Um, and over the, the Brexit and COVID, it's certainly placed a massive strain on the workforce. Uh, and all our staff have worked tremendously hard throughout this tough period. Uh, and as a result of that, we thought we'd bring forward the annual pay reward from April and we brought it forward to November. And everyone got a 6.6%. 6.6%. Wow, very good. Yeah, I mean that wow. that must have heavily impacted in your bottom line. So why be so generous? And have you any tips for my employers? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a hard decision, and one of the the great things about the minimum wage is it keeps a wage being a minimum, but it doesn't differentiate to reflect on the performance and training that guys put in. And sometimes that gets forgotten about. When you try and keep your wages down to a certain percentage, then it's easy enough to the guys who have up the ladder a bit keep them down a bit. So we've got to readdress that balance and reward training and reward 
better performance. Uh, and, and that's really the culture that we're wanting to bring into the, the bakery. I don't think there's a better culture than that to encourage the people to do more. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Great example. Ian, um, I've, I've got a question about the family business again, and it's just about, are you encouraging your family to be the fourth generation? Because fourth generation, you don't see many family businesses get into the fourth generation. So is that something you're encouraging? It's something that my, I've got two boys who are currently in the business, uh, and brother Gordon's got a, a daughter, Ashling, who's in the business. Right. So, yeah, we are encouraging the fourth generation. Um, I know it's there's not too many fourth generation, but there is fourth, fifth, and sixth generation bakers in Scotland out there. So, yeah, yes, we're, we're, we're youngsters in that, in that effect. <laughs> So you've got your succession planned, have you? The succession plan is there, yes, uh, and it's it gets dusted down almost daily. Uh, <laughs> uh, but and it's it's all about it's all about having the guys round about them to bring it forward. That that's probably more of a challenge to to make sure that everyone round about them is fit for purpose. Can I can I ask you is your sons willingly and looking forward to being in the business or have been dragged in screaming? No, no, no. Well, eldest son, he, he's finished his university course, so he's quite happy to to be there. He's had his time of gap years, etc. A youngest son, his gap year got COVIDed out, so oh <laughs> so so he's not done anything yet. So he might still disappear, but I'm sure he'll come back. I'm sure he'll come what, back. What advice are you giving them? What have you learned over the years that you can pass on to your sons and future generations? <laughs> really, it's just about the work ethic. Uh, it's being there. It's just wrong to say being on top of people, but it's just watching what everyone's up to. And you, you come in in the morning, you get a report of what's going on throughout the night because we're, we're a 24-hour operation. Uh, you can't be there all the time, but you've got to be able to react to what's happening at the time it's happening. Can I ask, there's been a lot said about the supply chain and some of the things that Brexit's caused and what COVID's caused. Has, have you been affected by it, Ian? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, we got an absolute mauling when COVID came along overnight. We uh, On that Friday night when the, the country was closed down, basically, we thought we'd lost a third of our business wow. through the hospitality uh, and the, the food service side of things. And it was it was quite hard, but you know, we quickly realised and through phone calls throughout the, that weekend, you know, we've got to keep going. We're supplying hospitals. We're supplying everyone else who's fundamental to keeping Britain going. So... Uh, we had no choice but to keep going. Uh, and it became apparent very early on. Basically through COVID, we thrived and we actually became a, a net employer through COVID. Wow, that's a brilliant, brilliant yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. Well um, done. I mean, COVID was hard. But then Brexit came along and gave us an absolute kicking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a, a lot of uh, Eastern European staff disappeared overnight, um, which was a, a great pity. And it's, it's still a challenge to to replace these guys, and that's part of the what we're trying to do at the moment. So, do you think now there's a really good bakery in Warsaw now making Polish toty scones? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yes. We'll need to get you a meeting with Jacob Rees Mogg yeah. and talk about the benefits of Brexit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that won't take long. No, no it won't no, take long. So. Yeah. That's a short list, Willie. Yeah. So Ian, what, what steps are you taking to future-proof your business for the next generation? Well, it's all about automating. 
Uh, unfortunately, I don't think people positions going to get easier in a short term. So it's automate, uh, and to that effect, you know, there's a you know, we have a significant investment in new machinery uh, and systems. So can you explain? Is it you know the automation process? Is it robots that are making Tom's Empire biscuits? Oh, robots don't go anywhere near Tom's Empire Biscuits. I'm glad to say. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it is actually a new line and it's been put in in the last year. Um, and that cost, I think it was about £80,000 to, to put that new line in just to make the actual biscuits. Uh, now we're looking at mechanising and automating the jamming part of it uh, because it is, it's a repetitive job and that's what the, the, the jobs that people don't seem to like doing these days. Uh, a guy came in yesterday to see me and put forward a proposal to start jamming. So I'll I'll make sure there's plenty of jam in them for you, Tom. So he's jamming, he's jamming, he's jamming. <laughs> okay, I'm Bob just Farley. waiting Thanks. for Willie to come in there. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh, dear. Well, you're also involved uh, with the Scottish Bakers Association and you're now the president. Uh, not quite the president. Uh, oh. Uh, oh. Yeah. So uh, in May, I'll become... Uh, president of Scottish Bakers. Uh, well done. Yes. Thank you, thank you. It's a two-year stint, uh, and it's it's mainly an ambassadorial role, and it's it's you're representing the the industry throughout Scotland and Britain, and it's actually it's following in the footsteps of my father and my brother, who are both past what? presidents. Brilliant, amazing, uh, and it's a it's a great accolade, and I'm very very proud to be stepping up to that. So, what does the association do? It, it, it's all aspects of the, the bakery industry it encompasses. Uh, so it can tailor your needs around both the employee and the, the baker. And all training is fully funded through our contract with Skills Development Scotland. So it's, oh, that's brilliant. it's very worthwhile uh, and for all members of Scottish Bakers. And if you're not members, you can certainly become one. And the, all the, the training advisors can be on your doorstep to provide your training needs. I love that, Ian. That's the peer-to-peer -peer support and learning, which we talk a lot about on the show. So you're doing it for bakers and we're trying to do it for the wider entrepreneurial society of people learning from others' mistakes and celebrating successes with them. So well done. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. So what have you got planned for the business for the future? You know, Is there any more expansion? And are you confident about the future and the legacy you'll be leaving? Absolutely, yeah, no, no question about it. Um, we've built a, a good, solid business. Um, hopefully the, the kids will look after us when we're in our dotage and <laughs> chuck us a few shillings. <laughs> uh, Don't count on it, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be lucky to get a pineapple slice. <laughs> and would you, do you think you'd step back when... The, younger generations take over? Are you always going to be around on the, the shop floor? Do you want the answer that the younger generations are going to give you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're wanting us to go away as soon as. <laughs> no, it's been absolutely great having you on the show. Is there any final piece of advice for anybody in a family business out there that you want to pass on? Well, probably for family businesses, one of the best pieces of advice I was given is you can't steer the ship from the boiler room. Uh, and it's, it's that's an old business adage. And it is true because you get sucked in all the time and you do have to step back and get up to the top deck and watch out where you're going uh, because it's can it can be a, 
treacherous path that you're going along. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. I think that it's important that um, family-led businesses that you do steer from the top and, and you don't get involved too much with the minutiae. People who want to know every single thing about their business waste a lot of time and they're not dealing with the big decisions at the top, yeah. But Ian, brilliant story. Uh, great to have you on, apart from the fact that my tailor is not happy. He's having to adjust my suits every time a bag comes in with my geese on it. But uh, I've got to say this, and I mean it, been loving your products for many, many years. Thank you. Yeah, indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. I think Brilliant, after the Ian. amount of gaffes, I'll be looking for a new role after this. But <laughs> if you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. We've got an email from Nicola Meehan who runs a business called Handy Mam. And she's asking you both what do you wish you knew when you were first starting out? Tom. <laughs> What a great question. Um, what do I wish I knew? I reckon I wish I knew it was going to be all right. Because when you start a business from nothing, and hopefully the, the listeners will get inspiration from this, you just don't know day to day whether it is going to be all right. And that insecurity, I suppose it's the insecurity that drives you. But, you know, there were days when you thought, Christ, I'm, I'm not going to get through the day. And um, if I'd just known, yeah, it's going to be all right, it would have saved me a lot of worry. <laughs> Willie? I think I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. I think I wish I knew that at the beginning that to inspire people rather than lead them would probably get us there quicker. Oh, and great I, advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's just kind of, that just came to me in the last few weeks, that, you know, that um, that, that was more important than the business. My dad, my dad did a great saying, you know, obviously, that uh, if wisdom only came with youth. So I think the real answer that would be, I wish I knew everything <laughs> that I didn't know when I started. <laughs> you know, the other things I've learned. But the one thing that I did learn, right, it doesn't matter what business you're in, right? Business is all about people. It's not about the product. It's not about what you're trying to do. Whatever you're trying to do is all about how do you get along with people, how you treat people, but more importantly, how you read people. And that's people who work for you and people you deal with. So when did it first come to both of you about that, these qualities are required? Was it one year into a business, two years, five years, ten years? I know what you're talking about. It was just recently, but, yeah. you know, when do you get to a point when you were running your business and said, I'm pretty good at this job now? I bet you Tom will be in the same boat here is that when you're doing interviews with business journalists and they ask you a question, you've probably never thought about the question they're asking before. You know, like a guy asked me, one of your guys asked me a couple of years ago, um, how early on did you realise that you were a leader? And the answer was I'd never thought of that. So I had to start thinking. <laughs> and it was only then that I started thinking back to at under 11, I was captain of the football team and then I was leading this and lead, so I always had a big mouth, always had something to say, I was always at the front, <laughs> you know, and I think then, so there's a lot of things that you don't actually think about, you know, that, you know, what, you know, when did you, when did you think you were a leader? So, um, I, but I think for me, really, that once the business grew, the, the, the quantum from having a small family, local business in the first nine years of our business, that, that major step when we got involved with a PLC with Asda in 1997 thereafter that, what you definitely knew without saying it to yourself was you had to up your game. Yeah. 
What about you, Tom? When did you have to up your game? Yeah, well, I, I, I totally agree with Willie. There's certain things you look back and think, I, I didn't think that's what I was. <laughs> but, you know, for the first five years of my business, I was pretty much on my own, just selling trainers out the back of the van type thing. Um, it took me five years to afford the first shop. Um, and then I think seven years in, and this may sound mad, but seven years in, somebody brought me this thing called the shell suit. And I didn't know what a shell suit was. I was only selling shoes at the time. And shell suits changed my life because once we started selling shell suits, I began to think, my goodness, this is this could be a big business. And that was seven years in. And I only had time to think about it when I began to recruit a quality team run about me because before that I was too busy getting through the day and that's a bit like what Ian McGee said you know get up on the bridge of the ship and get out the, the minutia but to start with you've got to do every job you've got to do every job but that sets you up for understanding your business and um, I loved hear, hearing Ian's story actually yeah but Tom, the big, big break, break that you got, obviously, was when the shell suit became the national attire for the accused. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Deary me. Moving swiftly on, uh, another email question, um, anonymous this time, but they said they're asking, uh, how much of an issue is cyber security to your businesses and how much importance should businesses give it? Of course, we had the the ongoing impact of the hacking attempt with SEPA as well. Willie? Yeah, huge. And it was highlighted to us a number of years ago. Um, a refrigeration company in the States that worked for one of the largest retailers in the States were hacked, but the the hackers managed to get through their system into their customer system, which was one of oh. So they got access to 100, 138 million people's accounts. Wow. Right, by just hacking a subcontractor to the... So for us, the firewalling dealing with us with some of our biggest clients is, is absolutely huge. You know, so for us, it's, I, I think in the last five years, I know when we sit down at board meetings now, it's, it's, it's always in the top three of the agenda to talk about for the business, the protection. What about you, Tom? How important is it? Yeah, absolutely crucial to our business. We all deal online now and our records, um, our banking, you know, stuff like this, legal documents. So we've actually got a, a, a team and we're constantly investing more and more every year on keeping these records safe. It's absolutely crucial to any business and every business now. Is there any advice you would give to a list, somebody, people listening in with us, even just a small business? I think, you know, no matter what, if, especially if you're a small business and you start to deal with a large customer, if in any way that your systems are connected to their systems, that you have to treat this very seriously and have to make sure that your security is, is spot on. I can tell you the company I told you about, because of the weakness in their system, they lost all of that work. They never again were working for that major retailer. So that must have cost them millions and millions in revenue. So for me, even as a small business, if you are dealing and you are connected to your systems, you have to be very, very careful and make sure you're on top of that. Tom? And, and there, are, there are plenty of really good cybersecurity people in Scotland. Um, they don't need to be on your payroll. They can be contractors. 
and there are there are plenty of really high quality people in Scotland. So suss them out, speak speak to others in your industry, and they'll tell you who who they're using. You know, use that network, but get yourself cyber security ready. Yeah, it's a big business now. Big business. Indeed, uh, some important advice to end on. As unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. But don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. If you ever miss an episode, you can find us by simply searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts.